0: you never sort of even think uh, that it's going to be an option mm. yeah. it's already the way that your life is going to shape up to be i think my earliest and most formative concept of marriage has been that everyone does it and i'm going to do it too so there's no questioning that welcome to in
1: between a couple of months ago, I felt very honored when I was invited to hold a presentation about my master thesis in the Grafiblich Fabrik of the Anthropological Association of Zurich. The talk was quite well received, but it was uh, pretty much the beginning of Corona when people also in Switzerland started to realize that this thing is going to be rather serious. So a lot of people already missed it for some for this reason or another reason, and Quite a lot of people ask me, like, when will you present again something about your master thesis? So I decided to simply turn it into a podcast episode and therefore I welcome you to this presentation, which is called Marriage as an Ethical Undertaking, Portraits of Young Indian Women Under Marriage Pressure. Like many accounts of anthropological research, mine too starts with the phrase, actually everything was planned in a completely different manner. When I came to Delhi in January of 2018, I thought I had the absolute master plan. I was going to study one semester at the university in Delhi. I would acclimatize myself culturally as well as language-wise. I would check out my field already during the semester and then I would simply add three months of research. At that point, still on the topic of female cab drivers in Delhi. However, soon it became clear that the access through the institution I wanted to look at would get very difficult and so limited that at the end I didn't want to conduct this research anymore, not under these circumstances. Therefore, suddenly I was standing there with no thesis topic at all and I had to start all over finding a new one from scratch, basically. Therefore, I decided to add another exchange semester to have more time to do that. But soon I realized that there was one topic overly present in countless conversations with my friends from the university or the people I met through my hobby acrobatics in Delhi. People were choking, talking and advising each other on the topic of the marriage pressure that so many were experiencing at that time again and again. It had already been weeks that without really noticing it, I had turned into an empathic but culturally foreign listener. Someone always ready to offer a sympathetic ear, but rarely capable of giving any advice on that topic, about which there were so many things I didn't understand. That's when my interest got sparked and I wanted to understand how marriage decisions are being made and what is actually negotiated there and what is that marriage pressure all about. More and more, I realized that a lot of times ethical questions seemed to be laying at the heart of all that. Questions like, what should I do? What is the right decision? Who is the right marriage partner for me, like Mr. Right? Does doing the right thing mean sacrificing one's own happiness in order to not disappoint one's parents? Slowly I started to realize how the topic of marriage seemed to often offer a space to morally judge the character of a person. Therefore, the title of my master thesis that stems from an interview quote. Something must be wrong with that girl. That's why she's not getting married marriage pressure and the marriage decision-making process as an ethical undertaking. Over the years, so much has already been written on marriage in India. But so far, I couldn't find a study that explicitly took marriage pressure as its starting point in order to understand what is being negotiated on an ethical level in the whole marriage decision-making process. So my research took its course. In total, I interviewed about 30 people, men and women between 25 and 35 years of age, living in urban India, coming from a middle or upper middle class background and experiencing something they would describe as marriage pressure. In the end, I decided to write my thesis on the basis of only 8 interviews with only unmarried, educated women from the Indian, urban, English-speaking, Hindu upper middle class. And here I want to make it clear that I cannot say anything about marriage in other social stratas or communities in India, like the lower class or in the Muslim community and so on. So I can really only talk or like say something about the uh, people from the strata I actually talk to. So to start, I would like to introduce these eight women to you. We have Indu. She's 27 years old and works in an NGO. She's the one that is least averse to marriage. We have Chiara, she's 32, she studied in Yale and is now working in the finance sector. At the time of my research, she was dating someone whom she could imagine to marry. Yamini is 28, she works in the finance sector as well and she had somebody in mind, but the horoscope of the two didn't exactly match, which led to a lot of problems for her. Then we have Dipti, she's 29, she is a PhD student and... She has someone in mind, but this person is not Indian, but someone from Europe. Padma is 28. She works in software engineering and she was the only one who couldn't think of anyone for marriage. Then we have Rohini. She's 29. She's a teacher and she cannot marry her boyfriend because of religious differences. Urvi is 25. She works in software engineering as well, and she's the one most averse to marriage. Last but not least, we have Aditi, she's 30, she's a pilot and she decided not to get married, a decision which today is accepted by the people in her family and in her surrounding. The question I followed throughout my research was the following. What is actually being negotiated in the marriage decision-making process of these women? At this point, I would like to mention how difficult I found it to turn an 80 page long theoretical thesis into a 45 minute presentation, which originally was held in German, but now for the podcast I translated it to English. The presentation was, on the one hand, supposed to be suitable for a non academic public, therefore not too abstract and theoretical, but on the other hand, the organizers also made it very clear that it should have some substance and arguments being more than just uh like telling some traveling stories or something so if sometimes it seems as if i'm just making claims without explicitly showing how i came to these conclusions it's probably due to the lack of time so that that i couldn't properly elaborate on everything and i had to leave out a lot of topics which i would have also liked to talk about at the original event There was like another 45-minute question round so people could ask questions or I could clarify things or I could bring up other anecdotes and examples and talk about a few things more. That is not possible in the format of a podcast, but if you are interested or have any questions, don't hesitate to contact me. But in this format, it won't be possible to elaborate on certain things. So then let's start by taking a closer look at the phenomenon of marriage pressure. Here comes the first couple of claims I'm making, namely marriage in India is not voluntary but a social imperative, an obligation, a task that needs to be fulfilled by parents and daughters alike. Since I myself have lived by now I think more than a year in Delhi, the city where most of my informants are from and have spent most of their lives, I experienced firsthand how casually the question, has your wedding already happened, is coming up. Riksha drivers, cab drivers, new acquaintances, friends and friends of friends would ask me this question again and again. Most of the time it was small moments that made me realize how deeply rooted marriage as a social imperative actually seems to be in this culture. I could choose from many different anecdotes now, but I will tell you this one to emphasize this point. It was a Sunday afternoon and a friend was just driving me back from acrobatic training we both frequented and he was driving me back to the university where I lived and while we were driving of course we were talking again about marriage and um, that was I think one of the first times where I actually let him know a little bit that I didn't necessarily intend to get married myself he turned silent he parked and kind of lost in thoughts he turned the key and after a bit of silence he asked me but then What's the aim of your life? Implying that life inevitably would roll towards marriage. But since I didn't intend to get married, he wondered, what would I orient my life towards? And what would be its aim then? Instances like this one made me aware of how deeply rooted marriage as a concept seemed to be in this social context and moreover in people's idea of a good life. Without getting too deep into that topic, of course, I need to mention here that also in many Hindu scriptures, marriage and the creation of children, especially sons, is seen as a religious obligation. To further underline this point of marriage not being seen as optional, I have a couple of quotes for you. These are the original quotes from the original interviews I recorded back then with these eight women in 2018. All of them allowed me to use the original ones for this podcast. However, I need to warn you that Back in 2018, when I recorded these interviews, I had no intention and no clue that there would ever be a podcast. Therefore, the sound quality is not exactly good, but I hope that for the sake of originality, you will survive (laughs) that compromised audio quality.
0: So you never sort of even think uh, that it's going to be an option. Mm. It's already the way that your life is going to shape up to be. I think my earliest and most formative concept of marriage has been that everyone does it, I'm going to do it too. So there's no question in that. I don't think I ever considered marriage to be an optional thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe yes, maybe no, we'll see. But I knew it's eventually just going to happen. It's something that has to happen. You know, like you have to grow old, your hair has to turn white at some point of time. Mm -hmm. Same way marriage has to happen, kids have to happen. It's not something you get a great amount of time or space to think about and say, oh wait, do I want this in my life? And am I ready for it? And does it suit me?
1: Then we come to my next argument the when of marriage. Marriage doesn't just happen at some random point in time. There is a marriage market with different candidates and the chances of a woman to find a good groom on the market are bigger if one starts the search early because the marriage procedure can take several years. Most people say it's smart to start when a woman is in her 20s. With 25, the pressure rises because she is now on the other side of the mountain, closer to 30, and therefore she's getting late. With 30, people used to use the word expired for these women who already turned 30, like uh, they would use it for a grocery product that has gone bad, explained to me that, that with 30, it's too late and very difficult to marry. This time window created by the marriage market as well as cultural notions changes, of course, according to social class, caste, community, is broader for men and broader in the city than on the countryside. You are getting old is a phrase that is constantly accompanying the women I interviewed. And often it seemed to me that it is more important when someone is getting married than whom this person is getting married to. To describe that further, I've got a few quotes for you again.
0: And they're like, now you are 28. You will not get good guys in 29 or 30. This is the very right time. You should get married. Because your friends are already married. They have babies. This is the right time. You should marry. Otherwise, you will not get any guy. So, this kind of fear is always coming from the society as well as from your parents. So, society keeps the pressure on the parents. The extended family also pressurizes the parents. And the same pressure will come on you. And in that pressure, you can't focus on what you, what exactly you want. That's the situation right now. It's Day by day, it's getting worse. Since I'm getting old, according to them, to me, I feel like I'm still young. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like I'm really getting old. Uh, everyone is treating me like some
1: old lady and questioning me, like, oh, do you have any problem or do you have some any health issues or what's wrong with you are you're not
0: getting married and no one ever asked do you have any dreams to complete before you
1: get married no one questioned that so far to me There was the pressure until a few years back, like, until, say, I hit 14, That is when they actually hit the panic button. They were like, dude, what the hell is going on? When will you have a kid? Like, you know, you're late for
0: it. Like, all those things. And
1: everyone around me was just like, wherever I went, in any social setups, I was just only asked this question, and are you getting married? And with this, we are already inside the topic of marriage pressure. At this point, I want to emphasize again that none of the women was like categorically against marriage, but that they more felt like not right now, not under so much pressure, under so much stress, just because I'm apparently getting old. In the presentation, I had this PowerPoint presentation and I showed a slide with some blog posts and newspaper articles on it, treating exactly that topic of marriage pressure with uh, titles like... 10 things Indian parents say to blackmail you into marriage or uh, how patriarchy dictates when an Indian girl is ready for marriage. The marriage pressure my informants experienced mostly came from parents, neighbors, relatives, friend circles or society as a whole. In the form of comments, jokes, questions and discussions at family gatherings, weddings, at their workplace, at dinner with friends, over phone calls or posts on social media, Marriage and the fact that they are not married yet was made a topic again and again. Most women told me about family fights and discussions, about emotional blackmailing or about the silence treatment. Yamini, for example, told me that when she just had rejected another candidate, which her parents found uh, very, very suitable, her parents just didn't talk to her for months. She told me, it felt as if someone had died in our house. Moreover, some parents actually get sick. And uh, many times I thought that it's kind of unimaginable how one should take that pressure if like one's parents is getting sick and people, your mother or your relatives come to you and tell you, you know, your father is getting sick because you are not getting married. How to deal with that kind of pressure? It's incredible like, to imagine. Parents seem to live in a more traditional social network. With neighbors gossiping, relatives commenting and weddings to which they are invited and where people again and again ask, when will your daughter get married? There is a lot of pressure on the parents as well because uh, of people telling them that they are bad parents because their daughter is still unmarried. And also the phrase, something must be wrong with that girl, that is why she's not getting married, was raised again and again in this context. My informant's own reputation, as well as that of their family, seems to get more and more damaged on a moral level the longer they stay unmarried. Urvi, for example, explained to me, like, how her whole family reputation is getting worse and worse, because by now people around her, relatives and uh, neighbors started to think that some really bad issue must be going on in the family, because else how to explain that she isn't married yet? Being unmarried in many ways seemed to me was interpreted as being dysfunctional in some or the other way, and not only for women, but also for men. For example, I remember this one story a friend of mine told me in which there was a vacancy in his office and he had a friend who exactly fitted, he had the right qualities, he had a very good CV, um, so he told his boss about him so that he could hire him. In the end, he was not hired and the reason was his in his early forties and not married, something must be wrong with that guy. Moreover, I also heard many times that it's difficult to get a house, for example, if one is too old and still like single, so that people would rather rent their houses to families instead of bachelors. Most women said that they don't really care what people think about them, but they do not want their parents to suffer because of them. Parents and daughters equally seem to be stuck in this situation. It becomes clear that marriage decisions are not individualistic decisions but communal ones that not only need to be right for the daughter but also for the whole family which is involved. My informant's own desires are being weighed against the social consequences for the family. However, I want to make clear that I did not exactly experience the women I talked to as victims of the whole situation because all of them told me about different strategies they follow in order to further postpone their marriage or negotiate more desirable conditions for their marriage. Not coming home was one of them and a lot of Women told me that there are like long stretches in which they do not talk to their parents because the pressure just gets too much. Every phone call always has this this one topic and coming home would mean the same. A lot of them stopped attending weddings or family events where relatives would already be waiting with questions. Many started explaining to their parents the importance of a certain career chance or gaining some money first before marrying or... had a lot of strategies how to invent different reasons to reject different candidates. However, all of my informants praise their parents. They say that their parents have supported them more than they ever thought, although they are under pressure themselves and although they fight a lot. And I think the fact that no one is married yet, um, or was married at the point of my research, does prove to that So, after talking about the when of marriage and marriage pressure, we come to the question of whom to marry. In the presentation, I had a PowerPoint slide with different advertisements looking for marriage partners in newspaper articles and online marriage portals. Again, since so much has already been written about marriage in India, I want to make it short. A traditional Hindu marriage, one can say generalizing a bit, used to be an arranged marriage with two people from the same caste and same community. Suitable partners were found through relatives, online portals, newspaper articles or other institutions. Then there used to be two to three meetings, either with the whole family or just uh, the both partners to be, after which a yes or no needed to be told. There's also this classic concept of bride viewing, where the family of the potential groom is coming home to the family of the potential bride, and uh, she has to sit there and look pretty and serve tea, sort like chai and samosas and answer all the questions. And yeah, things a lot of my informants really hated, <laughs> but only a few had to undergo themselves. Moreover, I need to mention that the literature talks a lot about the dichotomy between love, marriage and arranged marriage. I however didn't really find this dichotomy to be really helpful in the field because I kept encountering what I would call some mixed forms. For example, in many occasions daughters were asked before starting the process if they were already dating someone, if the if the parents could approach that family, and many times parents or daughters were giving the right of a veto. In other cases, daughters used dating apps to find somebody they liked, like uh, behind their parents' back, and then present this, this per- once they really knew this person and had enough time to get to know that person, then present that person to the parents, and so on. So I encountered a lot of different strategies and different ways. And to me, it always seemed that there is like the ideal thing is not either love or arranged marriage, but that the ideal thing would be for my informants to find someone they love and they really like, but someone who also fulfills the parents' criteria or standards so that in the end, the parents would be equally happy. How to get there, if this is in a more traditional way or in a more free way, didn't really matter. What mattered to them was to acquire this, this ideal in which they themselves as well as their parents would be happy. Uh, My informants had made very different experiences. Some had already met a lot of men, had been in these bride viewing, had made these experiences and many more, while others haven't met a single possible suitor till today. Most of my informants had hoped that they in the course of their lives would just meet somebody and when it's time to get married, naturally, they would marry this person. But that hasn't happened for any of them. And some really had nobody in their head and life when the marriage process was to be started. Others had somebody, but for some reason this per- person wasn't marriageable. And in both cases, they eventually had to pursue the arranged marriage route. Most women talked about these difficult meetings with potential grooms and their families. About the very high demands coming from the families. Things like, but you cannot go on working after marriage, like... And definitely not when the kids come and especially for women who, won, who were very strongly really liked their careers and had worked a lot for it. That was very difficult. And since in most of India, the woman will move to the man's family, there is a whole new house culture they need to adapt themselves to. And there were a lot of conflicts already in these meetings uh, which were about this kind of house culture. Potential grooms told them like, oh, but you know, you can't sleep late, you have to get up early, my parents wouldn't allow that, oh, you want to travel by yourself, you can't do that, my parents wouldn't allow that, but you have to cook this and that and... uh, Many women said that they felt that their whole lives were judged morally in these meetings like oh you travel alone, oh you lived by yourself in such a big metropolitan city for so many years and things like that. Then we go on how to marry. In the sense of what does marriage and partnership mean and contain. Because of this parents and daughters seem to have a very different idea. I would like to show this lack of understanding by reading to you a quote by Urvi about how parents apparently propose potential suitors to their daughters. If you ask, what do you know about this guy? They will never say more than four points. Basically, everyone says, he's a good guy. He has a good character. He is friendly. He earns this much money. These are the four points every dad or mom names when they find a groom for their daughter. These are the only four points. If you ask more, you dig deeper and ask, Okay, how do you know he's good? There will be no answer. How do you know he's friendly? There will be no answer. They don't know anything. They will just analyze something about him. 90% of the analysis will be based on the background of the guy's family and only 10% on the 10-minute talk they had with the guy. And they have some judgment. And with that judgment, they are providing these four points. And with these four points, I am not ready to share my life with that guy. Parents seem to think that their daughters are too choosy and can't understand why they do not just say yes to any of the well-earning, well-behaved suitors from good families. Their daughters, on the other hand, try to show me the absurdity of the way candidates were proposed to them. My argument here is that the thing that seems to irritate the daughters most is the interchangeability of a potential partner. In many different examples, without being able to exactly put their finger on to what it is my informants kept bringing up this sense of absurdity. For example, Yamini told me when she like rejected a candidate that her parents really liked, her mother kept telling her, like, you missed on a really good opportunity. Like, kind of comparing a guy to an opportunity. And for her, it was very strange when she found out later that only two weeks later, the guy had just said yes to somebody else. Rohini told me how she sometimes has nightmares. Inside the dream, she wakes up in her bed and asks herself, wait a second, whom did I marry? Indra told me how annoyed she is when at some family gathering, some relatives come to her and ask her, oh, do you want a doctor or an engineer? And she wants to tell them, like, I don't care what he works. I care about how he is and how that somehow is never understood. Chiara told me once how her mother told her, oh, you know, I, that guy, his father is a Supreme Court judge and I got along really well with the mother and how she told her mother, like, he is a judge, you got along really well with the mother and now I need to marry him because of this. For the parents, their daughters seem too choosy. While their daughters say that parents do not understand concepts like chemistry, love or attraction. They don't focus on the character of a potential groom and the nature of the relationship, but only on these four points. Fact is that I have not talked to the parents, but I know that all of them had an arranged marriage and I think the story of Indus parents could work as an example. She told me like how very traditional the two families met in a restaurant and how they were eating and talking and then her father and her mother got like 10 minutes in the other room where they could talk to each other. And after this, they said yes. For parents, marriage seems to be a social imperative. It guarantees financial stability as well as a social safety net. In some of the Hindu scriptures, you find the idea that marriage partners are determined for each other for several lives. And if you have this idea of marriage, you probably built this view. We can assume that most parents wouldn't have had relationships like boyfriends, girlfriends before marriage and would have very likely only had limited contact to the opposite sex outside their family. When then people say, okay, you're going to marry this person. Then this already invokes romance somehow. This is captured very well in what a young man I interviewed told me about his parents. He called this phenomena an automatic romance. Although his parents had grown up in the same village, they had never talked to each other before marriage. They saw each other sometimes in festivities and somehow started to develop these special feelings for the person they are meant to be with because they knew one day they will have to marry that person. Something he couldn't really understand. Two people that have never talked to each other before but still love each other somehow, so automatically. But if one thinks about marriage in this context, this time, this whole cosmos... Concepts like attraction or love become kind of obsolete, because one automatically seems to develop love for the person one is intended to be with. Here I would like to make a theoretical argument from the book Ethical Life by Webb Keane, which I used several times in my thesis. He writes that as the world changes and certain social surroundings cease to exist in the same way, the very same actions, like for example getting married, can fall on the very different descriptions, not infused with the same values anymore. He illustrates this making the example of the word condescension. In the context of early 19th century English hierarchies, the term was considered as an act of kindness, committed by an individual high up in the social hierarchy to lessen the distance to an inferior person. In the England of today, where people understand themselves as equals to a certain extent, Condescension seems arrogant and patronizing, and is by no means considered an act of greatness. This world with its hierarchies, rules and values doesn't exist anymore, which is why it is hard for us to comprehend how condescension used to be something positive and kind, because we don't have access anymore to this social reality with the feelings and values of this time. I want to further argue that what seemed to be happening between parents and daughters sometimes seemed very similar to me. Daughters too seem to have no access to the social reality that built the background for the automatic romance of their parents. Then the women I interviewed have had relationships, some use Tinder and other dating apps, they interacted with the opposite sex in college, at work or when they frequent cafes, bars, nightclubs and so on. They consume Hollywood movies, and one shouldn't forget the influences of uh, globalization and India's liberalization in the 90s. A good friend of mine once said that sometimes she feels lost in translation. On the one hand, she had grown up with uh, very traditional ideas about marriage, but the life she leads today and the things she sees around her somehow don't really match with this. Many of my informants also were told that they are too modern, too individualistic, especially when they rather wanted to focus on their careers instead of marrying. This brings me to the question of why marry? And somehow I was answering the bigger question, what exactly is being negotiated in the marriage decision-making process on an ethical level? The answer to this question, why marry, were mainly structured around three topics. The first one was, was the many restrictions unmarried women in India face. A lot of women told me that they would simply have more freedom if they marry, like to do things on their own also, that they would face less stigma, because at a certain age, if one is unmarried, there will, a lot of stigma will come. And they, they were simply able to do a lot more things like traveling and other things which living with a partner they maybe could be doing, but when they would still live with their parents or wouldn't have any partner, it would be difficult. The second topic was the fear of ending up alone and how one positions oneself in relation to it. The acceptance or fear of the risk to end up alone seems to majorly influence the marriage decision-making process. I received very different answers. For some, like ending up alone was a very lonely and sad picture, while for other it was a happy one in which they could travel, go for further studies, didn't have to adapt to a new family and so on. And the extents to which the women had already pictured this scenario were very different. Here I have a very interesting quote by Dipti picking up on another aspect of this.
0: I can completely do without a love object, okay? Because I have managed to have a lot of good friends around me, but now has definitely come the time when all the friends are gone now, okay? Because they all are definitely married and there is just a few of us left in the tribe now, okay? It's more like that. So, loneliness that arises out of not having a life partner definitely does not scare me, but that was not scary as long as I had friends around. But I'm still thinking in terms of what if I don't have anybody around me and then I don't have a partner, then what loneliness
1: can be? Somehow I always got the impression that people seem to vanish when they get married. A lot of my friends, especially also male friends, sometimes said that every married friend is a lost friend, which you cannot see anymore or you can't hang out with this person anymore like you used to do. And many people in general kept making the point that life after marriage is a very different one. The third topic around which the answers were structured was how one thinks that one's own not marrying could influence one's parents. So far we know that parents suffer if the daughter is not getting married and they experience stigma and social pressure. Padma once told me, you know, I'm not so selfish as to not marry. I couldn't do that to my parents. And a friend of me once told me, if it was up to me, I probably wouldn't marry, but I will do it for my parents. And another friend once argued, it's all about for whom you marry. I will not marry for me, but for my parents. Then we already come to my main argument. What is being negotiated is happiness, a term that came up again and again without any of my questions actually aiming at it. There seems to be a difference between what parents and daughters see as happiness, or happiness in a marriage, or a happy marriage. The happiness about which daughters were talking always seemed to me more of an individual happiness, like personal happiness, personal contentment. And somehow I sensed a certain incongruence there. I argue that many dilemmas and conflicts stem from situations in which the happiness of the parents conflicts with that of their daughters. One example is the story of Yamini. She found someone she really liked and her parents were not super excited about the guy but it was okay but when on top of everything it came out that the horoscopes of the two did not really match and the stars were basically saying that they as a couple would split up, the dilemma was perfect. Although Yamini really liked the guy and she doesn't really believe that strongly into astrology herself, the fact that her parents believe in it a lot and would never truly be happy with this alliance made her tell me I don't want that, not in this way. And she didn't pursue this alliance in the end. Another example is that of Rohini. She and her boyfriend come from slightly different religious backgrounds. When she turned 28, the marriage pressure on her was, became so intense that she had to pass it on to him. When they finally asked their families, his family didn't accept this alliance. But she waited till she was 29 and hoped that somehow things still would change. But gradually, more and more, conflicts and fights arose in their own relationship. Although they were initially thinking about doing a court marriage, more and more there was this question, but would we be happy? If already the happiness of the parents would have to be sacrificed, shouldn't then at least the couple's own happiness result of this union? But now that they were not sure about this anymore, what should they do? Again, happiness seems to be part of all ethical dilemmas. Parents seem to automatically relate happiness with marriage or the other way around, a life without marriage must be an unhappy one. However, that is not quite congruent with some of the observations my informants seem to have made when it's about the lives of friends and cousins that have already married, that do not seem to be that happy. There I have an interesting quote by Chiara. And a lot of my cousins who actually went through the whole process, they're very
0: unhappy. Like, they so-called have everything, societally, they tick mark. they have kids, and they're in a happy family. But I talked to my cousin, and she's had so
1: many mental health issues over the past two years. Like, she's been, like, only because she's like, I got married too early, I just missed my life before marriage, and things like that. I want to tell my mother that she kind of agreed for her parents, like, to get married.
0: and she's not like It's not that she's not in a happy marriage, that's not the right word. But she misses her life in some ways. And that's not what marriage should do to you or companionship should do to you.
1: Many people seem to marry for their parents or the happiness of their parents. As a result, they seem to find themselves personally unhappy in marriages that according to the social norms and in the eyes of their parents are supposed to be happy marriages. A happy marriage for my informants, parents, and probably most of the Indian upper middle class society seems to be one that provides financial security, one in which both partners are of similar status and therefore compatible, one in which both families have a good relationship, and one out of which one day children should be resulting. Chemistry, attraction, love and personal happiness do not seem to be part of that definition. The happiness about which parents and daughters talk in relation to marriage doesn't seem congruent, Daughters, it seemed to me, started to question the taken-for-granted definition of happiness in a marriage and started to add a new category similar to personal happiness. A very practical thought that was mentioned many times is the following. What if one marries for the sake of one's parents and the marriage doesn't work out and worst case results in a divorce? Wouldn't that mean even more stigma and suffering for the parents, if not permanent sadness? Therefore, why marry at all? That brings me to the story of my last informant, Aditi. She decided not to marry and was able to convince her surroundings of the rightness of that decision. Again, what was negotiated in the end seemed to be happiness. When she told me her story, she started it at the moment when she was 22 years old and in a relationship that was about to move towards marriage. Comments like, but you, you won't work anymore, right? After marriage. Or at least when the kids come, for sure he won't work anymore. Phrases like this kept coming up in the discussions about marriage. And Aditi told me that there are things she wasn't ready to give up, not for marriage and no matter who asked her to. One of this being her job as a pilot, which means a lot to her and for which she has worked very hard. Also the following relationship ended the moment when it was heading towards marriage. With 25, she told me she felt lost because the way that seemed to work for everybody else did neither seem to feel right nor seem to work for her. With 27, her mother begged Aditi to let her arrange a couple of meetings with possible candidates in the traditional way. Aditi agreed and told me that she found the experience of meeting these men interesting. However, she felt that she was not given enough time to really get to know these people before deciding for marriage. With 28, Aditi started realizing that marriage might wasn't for her, that marriage should be a choice and maybe it wasn't for everybody. At that point, of course, I need to mention uh, her background, which is very important. Like all my informants, she comes from the middle, upper middle class and uh, from a quite liberal background. The fact that she could pursue and she did pursue a job like being a pilot and the fact that she could turn, like, turn 28 without having been married before like, is, is important to mention here. Still, it is interesting that the first quote we heard in this presentation, I never thought of marriage as something optional, was from aditi herself. And here I would like to pause her story for a moment to make another theoretical argument inspired by Webkin's book. Keen quotes some of Anthony Appiah's reflections about the famous philosophical trolley problem, in which one is forced to choose between two options. Either one decides to do nothing and passively watches a runaway trolley kill five people, or one chooses to intervene by pulling a switch, thereby guiding the trolley to another track where it will kill only one person instead. Uh, till today, I think there are many, many versions of this dilemma, sometimes uh, You have a person you know versus people you don't know, a kid versus many people or one person and so on. However, what is important is that Appiah writes that in the real world, situations are not so clearly organized into different options. In the real world, the act of framing, the act of describing a situation and thus determining that there is a decision to be made, is in itself a moral task. It is often the moral task. Learning how to recognize what is and isn't an option is part of our ethical development. Many informants told me that not marrying isn't an option in India. But in Aditi's narrative, we see how the way she thought about marriage slowly changed over the course of her life. From something as natural and inevitable as having to eat or having to grow old, marriage turned into a decision, an option, a choice. The same thing could be said when listening to the informants who said that for them, not married, marrying isn't an option. It is in the end a moral decision, a framing of what is and isn't considered as an option by them. Let's go back to Aditi's story. She thought about not marrying for six months, playing her life without a partner through in her head. Because she told me, you need to think this through very well, because you are going to break your mother's heart by saying that you won't marry. Then she decided to sit down with her parents and tell them. Her father made her answer a lot of questions like how she was going to sustain herself financially and emotionally and what about kids and the realities of being an unmarried woman in India. But once she was able to give a satisfying answer to all of these questions, he was okay with it. With her mother, the whole thing was a bit was a bit different and a bit more difficult maybe. Let's hear about that in Aditi's own words.
0: And what I would like in a marriage And what is being given to me in a marriage Are two fundamentally different things And if I go ahead with the plan that she has laid down for me I won't be happy My happiness will be gone So I gave my mother a choice You choose Either I can be happy Or I can be married And so then she had a conversation with me Saying but I think you can be happy married too And I told her very honestly that If I had to come to the conclusion that I can't, I wouldn't be sitting in front of you talking to you about it. In that conversation itself, my mother just directly told me, she said, No, I would not want to make you, I would not want something in your life that doesn't give you happiness. What's the point of that?
1: Again, what is being negotiated between mother and daughter is happiness. Namely, the personal happiness of the daughter. Because Aditi had reached the conclusion that for her, personal happiness and marriage were not reconcilable. We also see how her mother is negotiating happiness. If marriage, unlike commonly assumed, leads to happiness for the daughter but leads to the exact opposite, is it right then, if one wants a happy life for one's daughter, to urge her to marry? Parents are negotiating just as much with themselves, their values, society and their daughters. They make decisions and question concepts. In Aditi's case, after six months, both her parents accepted Aditi's definition of a happy life that doesn't contain marriage. Suddenly, marriage not only becomes an option, but the space of the morally possible gets expanded. By now, I've been in some way part of most women's lives for more or less two years. And already in that short time, as well as in their narratives, I can see how things have changed and keep changing in this marriage negotiation process. While parents used to have very strict ideas of what kind of a person their daughters can and can't marry, some of them by now have come down to a desperate phrase more sounding like, would you please just marry someone? Also most informants seem to have by now reconciled with the idea of getting married in the next few years. But I feel I know better than this. The process is a dynamic one. Everything changes constantly and suddenly. People of whom I was sure that they would marry a certain person didn't. Those of whom I thought that they would never marry are now planning their weddings. Sometimes it only takes a small change, a career chance abroad, for example, to change everything. Or I was always amazed by the stories of people, like for example this one friend of mine. He had seen like 50, 60 or even 100 of possible partners and suddenly he said yes. He didn't really have a proper answer to why exactly he said yes. It just felt right, he said. And I think it is stories like this one that keep the hopes of my informants and I think many, many, many young unmarried people in India up and that make them lead a life on hold, waiting for that person or moment when everything suddenly and naturally falls into place. We almost reached the end of this presentation, therefore let's sum up the arguments made so far. Marriage is deeply rooted in the Indian idea of a good life, not as an option, but a social obligation. Marriage is connected to age and creates a certain time window dictating an acceptable age span to marry. These two factors lead to the marriage pressure for parents and daughters alike. The decision-making process is long and entangled. It is not only about what is the right decision for myself, but also for my parents, my future, my family, and my personal happiness. Many conflicts lie in the area of how to marry, in which my informants sometimes feel a bit lost in translation. Also because their idea of happiness being more something like personal happiness, and that of their parents are not congruent. And last but not least, in a decision-making process, one is not only choosing between already existing options, but one is actively engaged in the ethical framing of options and sometimes defining something new to be an option. There would be so many more topics I talked about in my thesis and many things I would like to say and also many things I would maybe write differently today. But I hope you enjoyed that small insight into my thesis and uh, thanks so much for listening. Thank mm-hmm. you.